You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. As we enter the second chapter of the Mishnah of Chagiga, the content becomes a bit difficult to follow, or at any rate, the threads between the content becomes a bit difficult to follow. And I think the only axiom that I can think of, and I would like to mention, just when trying to understand the whole pattern, is that the Mishnah of Chagiga and the mitzvah of appearing in Jerusalem is essentially about journeying. So much of the technical material is about sacrifices in Jerusalem and when they're pure and impure and when we can bring them, when we cannot bring them. But the essence of the tractate is about a journey. It's about a journey from one's own house to a holy place and hopefully to get back again. And when we're journeying, there are always going to be questions about places that we either should or should not visit on the way. How do you structure your journey? How do you make your journey safe as you move towards the holy place? And that is the kind of question that the second chapter of the Mishnah is now going to begin with. So you'll remember that we finished the first chapter with questions about where the halakha is derived from. And some halachot have got many, verse, many verses and few laws, and some have got many laws and few verses. And the Mishnah mentioned, right at the end of the first chapter, questions of forbidden relationships, as well as civil law and temple service, as being the essential elements of Torah. And now the Mishnah, in the beginning of the second chapter, is going to begin with a surprise, with what might be a surprising statement, but I think this is about the journey and about how you conduct the journey. And indeed, in the Gemara, there's a story about two sages who are journeying and who indeed start discussing one of these topics. So the Mishnah begins: It is not permitted to expound to teach laws about forbidden relationships in the presence of three i.e. with three people, and this is three people, including the teacher, in the class. And there seems to be some anxiety that if, if you have three, you have the possibility of them splitting into a two and a one. The teacher is explaining something to one of them. So there's a conversation between two. And there's someone who's left out. And maybe his mind is wandering, maybe he's doing something else, but for some reason, because he's excluded, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. So when you're teaching forbidden relationships, you should do it in a basically one-on-one. I mean, in a class of two. But that means one-on-one. Because when you're teaching one-on-one, there's never a, a possibility of losing attention. And the Mishnah continues. And you can't teach the creation story even in the presence of two. You know, I think we're referring here to two students and three students, not to, to two in the class in total and three in the class. You shouldn't teach the creation story in the presence of two. And apparently there are some things that we shouldn't ask there. The Mishnah, the Gemara will try to learn that out.
We'll come back to that. Nor on the chariot in the presence of one. Even if you've got one student only, you shouldn't teach the chariot. This is Ezekiel's vision of the Ezekiel's vision of the presence of God in the temple. So we are, we're journeying to Jerusalem, right? So we're thinking about this. But Ezekiel had this vision of a what seems to be a physical God, because he sees God and he describes this in his book. And Perhaps the rabbis thought that God had a physical presence. You know, they come before Maimonides. And we don't talk about this even one-on-one, with the exception, unless he was a sage and understood of his own knowledge. In other words, unless he's sufficiently mature, we don't even, we don't e- even teach to a single person the... Um, Issues about, you know, about, about the, the chariot, the vision of Ezekiel. And then the Mishnah continues. And someone who speculates on four things, it would have been better if he hadn't, hadn't come into the world. He hadn't been born. And now we're going to get back to creation. What's above, what's below, what happened beforehand, what happened afterwards. Anybody who doesn't take thought for the honor of his creator, it would have been better if he had not come into the world. And the Gemara in Chagigi is going to learn these ideas out from a verse in Devarim. Actually, in the, um, I think this is from the Parsha of uh, Etchanan. It's from the fourth chapter of Devarim. I think it's from Etchanan. Because you should ask about the early days, which happened beforehand. So we are going to ask about the early days. But notice, by the way, that Sha'alna, you have to inquire, Sha'alna is in the singular. And the Gemara learns the injunction not to teach the story of the creation to two from the fact that in this verse, in Devarim, the instruction is in the singular. You, the singular person, have to ask about what happened in the early days. And this must be in the beginning of the creation. From the day of creation, when man was created on the earth, when God created man on the earth. So the Gemara here learns that we can find out about what happened from the day man was created, but not before. And the Gemara doesn't explain why. Maybe, and of course, this is very contentious today, by the way. You know, do we study fossils? Is the, oh, is the world only 5,700 years old? And the rabbis seem to have some idea that it's not safe, it's, not, it's dangerous to ask about things that happened before Adam was created. And the, the, the verse continues. And from one end of the heaven to the other. And the Gemara again learns that, you know, we can learn about everything in the earth, but not beyond the bounds of the earth. Well, we can learn about the boundaries of the universe, but not beyond the boundaries of the universe. 
Had anything as grand as this ever happened? Or has its like ever been known? So the, the Gemara seems to be saying, look, we can study the, the natural world, but there seem to be certain limits. And the rabbis are afraid of transgressing those limits. They're afraid, if you like, of, of journeying too far. And, you know, I think we find, um, I, I mean, the, the, just a full discussion of this is longer than a kind of a 10-minute Mishnah class. But it's very interesting that at the beginning of the second chapter, you know, we're in a track day, which is about journeying. And the Mishnah is, is making certain comments about intellectual journeying, which we, which I mean, I mean, require further discussion and analysis. And then perhaps in line with this discussion about intellectual journeying, the Mishnah then lays out a, a, what seems to be quite a simple halachic dispute, but one which became an intellectual journey through five different generations of the leaders. And if you remember the beginning of the, the tractate of Avot, there is a list of the rabbinic leaders and the leaders of the court, the Nesim and the Avot Beit Din, from the men of the Great Assembly right through to Hillel and Shammai. And this list, this list of leaders, is actually repeated verbatim in our Mishnah in Chagiga, in the context of a dispute about laying on hands. Yosi ben Yoeza Omer Shelolismo. Yosi ben Yoeza says, don't lay on hands. Yosi ben Yochanan Omer Lismoch. This is the first of the pairs, by the way. And the question is about laying on hands or not. So what are we talking about here? Well, we've actually learned this Mishnah, by the way, in the tractate of Beitzah, in the egg. There's a dispute as to whether we lay on hands during the festival. And maybe we'll just fast forward a sec. Maybe we'll just fast forward for a minute to the Mishnayot, which we learned when we were looking at this issue in Beitzah. And we learned a Mishnah from Menachot. All offerings of an individual require laying on hands, with certain exceptions. Other than the firstborn offering, the animal tithe and the paschal offering. And so we, we lay our hands on the head of the animal and we push down really hard. And this, this laying on hands is actually derived from a verse in Vayikra. When an individual person brings an offering, he lays his hand on the head of his offering. He lays his hand and then he slaughters it at the entrance of the tent of meetings. And then the priests dash the blood against the sides of the altar. So we have a verse in Vayikra saying that a person, an individual, needs to lay hands on their sacrifice when they bring it. And the Mishnah in Menachot is saying, all offerings of an individual require placing of hands. So this must therefore apply to the Chagiga, which we're going to bring on Yom Tov. And of course, laying on hand, pushing down with the weight on the head of the animal is kind of using the animal in some way. So that may be considered work on Yom Tov. So maybe, maybe we shouldn't lay hands on Yom Tov. Or maybe we shouldn't bring an animal that requires laying on hands. And that's the dispute between um, Yossi ben Yoezer and Yosef ben Yochanan. So how does it go on? 
Yoshua, let's go on to the next pair. Yoshua ben Parachi, Omer, Shiloli Smoch. Yoshua ben Parachi says, don't lay on hands. Matai, Ha'arabali, Omer, Li Smoch. Matai, the Arabalite says, lay. Yudah ben Tavi, Omer, Shiloli Smoch. Judah ben Tavi says, don't lay on hands. Shimon ben Shetach, Omer, Li Smoch. Shimon ben Shetach says, lay. Same dispute. Shemaya Omer, oh, now the order is going to reverse. So remember, the, the first one in the, until now, the first one in the pair has said, don't lay on hands. And now it switches around. Shemaya Omer, Lismoch, Avtalion Omer, Shilolismoch. Shemaya says, not, Shemaya says, Shemaya says, lay on hands. Avtalion says, no. Hillel, Umanachem, Lonechlaku. Now we know we got Hillel and Manachem, and we don't know about Hillel. We think about Hillel with Shammai. We don't know about Hillel and Manachem, but apparently Hillel and Manachem did not dispute. Yatsam Manachem. Manachem went off. There's a suggestion in Josephus that Manachem actually went off and became an Essene. He joined another sect. So Manachem goes off, then Ichnas Shammai, and Shammai comes in. So now we've got the pair we know, Hillel and Shammai. Hillel Omer Lismoch. Hillel says, lay. Shammai Omer Shelolismoch. Shammai says not to lay hands. And then the Mishnah concludes, Harishonim, Hayunusim, Vehashniim, Avot Beitin. The first ones were Nusim. These were the kind of, well, in the time, in the Babylonian times, these were the secular presidents. I'm not sure whether it means a secular president right at the early stage like this. The Hashni'im Avot Beddin. The second ones were Avot Beddin. They were the head of the rabbinical court. So we've had a history of a dispute, and we don't know which way the halacha goes. Although we know, by the way, Hillel Omer Lismoch. Hillel says lay. So we can get an idea as to which way the halacha is going to go. And sure enough, the next Mishnah says, um, Beit Shammai say they bring Thanksgiving offerings, but without laying at hands. Of a lot, a lot, but they don't bring burnt offerings. Because burnt offerings are, well, maybe we'll, we'll, need, we'll need to come back to that. Beit Hillel say, look, on our festival, we do what is necessary for the festival. So Beit Hillel says, we bring peace offerings, which are going to be split between the altar and the, the Kohanim, and we bring a lot which are wholly burnt on the altar, and we lay our hands on them. And you know, there's a fascinating postscript here, which I can't resist bringing, because it's it's a, it's relevant to the whole question of the genderization of this mitzvah, and we learned right at the beginning of the tractate, that the whole um, mitzvah of bringing the chagiga does not apply to women. It doesn't apply to women at all. But there's a, this, there's a very, very famous and well-known discussion in the Gemara at this point. Quoting a verse from Vayikra Daber El Bnei Israel, and the verse goes on, Vesamach, and that actually, that I think that is Vesamach, Yodua Rosh Ha'ula. And he shall lay his hands on the head of the burnt offering. And the Gemara says, B'nai Yisrael somchin ve'ein b'not Yisrael somchot. The sons of Israel lay their hands. B'nai Yisrael lay their hands, but the daughters of Israel do not. 
Ein benot Yisrael somchot. The daughters of Israel are not included somehow. Rabbi Yossi, but Rabbi Yishmael omrim, but Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yishmael say, benot Yisrael somchot arushut. Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yishmael say it is optional for the daughters of Israel to lay hands, i.e. they're not required, but if they wish to do so, they may. And we've said, by the way, that laying on hands on hug is um, it, it's work. It, it's it, it's using an animal. So we wouldn't lightly make that statement. That the daughters of Israel can lay hands. Their work, they're carrying out a malacha. They're carrying out work on a festival. And Rabbi Yossi is going to explain it. Amar Rabbi Yossi, Sachli, Abba Elazar, Abba Elazar explained in one occasion, we had a calf for a peace offering. We brought it to the women's courtyard. This is precedent, by the way. This is not just an incident. This is an incident brought as precedent for practice. And the women laid their hands on it. Not because there's an obligation of laying hands on women, but in order to give the women which you might translate as spiritual satisfaction or something like that. But in other words, for the sake of women's involvement in the life of the community, they are allowed to lay their hands on the animal. That was their wish, even on a festival. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.